Hey everybody, welcome to Gray Area, your hub for all things house and techno. I am your host, Austin Miller, and this is our Artist Spotlight series. This episode's guest is at the forefront of the new generation in progressive house. His melodies are immersive. His production is transcendent. His live shows traverse the sonic landscape like none other. Gray Area family, please welcome Juno-nominated artist Jeff Hartford, better known in dance music circles around the world as the one and only Atlas. Dude, thanks so much for cutting some time out of your schedule for us today, man. Oh, it's it's going to be a blast. I'm happy to have the conversation. All right, man. So before there were like the award nominations and the international tour dates, you know, there's just a kid with a love for music, I imagine at least. Like, could you could you tell us about the makeup kind of of your musical DNA? Like, what was your first or how music first made its way into your life? Uh, just a heads up, this could be a long conversation because it goes right back to before I could, you know, speak. It was, you know, my parents, you know, pushing me in a stroller and at the old Sand the Record Man downtown Toronto, um, yeah. you know, I was stroller and my parents weren't even listening to, you know, what the music was, um, but I was super into it. And it was the soundtrack for a film called The Big Easy. And that was a bunch of like New Orleans music, right? Um, okay. Professor Longhair, um, Dr. John, uh, you know, that kind of deep south, uh, you know, hybrid blues, jazz, piano. Um, and then I'd say this you know, I was really into, you know, as, as a kid, um, obviously there was, uh, you know, kind of signs from it. But the first time I started actually playing music was when my family moved to Michigan when I was six years old. Um, you know, it was an old house in an unfinished basement and the previous um, occupants or tenants had left uh, like a 120 year old piano in the basement. My parents aren't musicians, they're not musical, um, but it was just sort of down there near my Lego, near my hockey stuff. So for me, that's where all my like, you know, fun stuff went, my toys, yeah. uh, all of that. So the piano was just like another really fun thing to kind of figure out. Um, and I'd toy around and figure out melodies on the piano that matched what was happening on the radio. Uh, I'm going to try to make this kind of quick. When we moved to Ontario after Michigan, uh, my parents thought, you know what, Jeff's liking the piano and um, let's let's try to bring it with us. And so it wouldn't fit down in the basement in our, in our new place in Ontario. Um, and as a result, it had to sort of take a more prominent place in the living room or a front room. Mm -hmm. And because it's such a, a big, chunky piece of furniture, they wanted to make sure, well, Jeff, are you going to still play it? Are you going to, do you yeah. want to take I thought, oh, for sure. But at that point, I had been kind of teaching myself. Um, and I was only nine at the time. Um, but it was just so fun. Um, and, and yeah, and then that, that's when I started really diving in because you learn a little bit on piano, but it's almost like learning a, uh, a language just because you learn the words. It's up to you to decide what you're going to say, what stories you're going to tell. Yeah. Um, and pretty quickly after that, I was, you know, joining bands, buying guitars. Um, my first paid gig ever was actually uh, a jazz club playing trumpet. Um, I had a trumpet teacher. I was a real jazz. Nice. Um, yeah, university, I thought, you know, I'm going to be a composer. So after graduating university, I was working at studios in Toronto, and then I was interning and assisting for a, a big composer in in Los Angeles. Um, mm. And, you know, that was exhilarating, stimulating, uh, kind of tough. There's a lot of social and professional competition out there. Okay. Um, yeah, I bet. But that's I learned a lot of the sonic tools um, in, in that environment that I still use today, uh, which is maybe why things on my side lead, lead a little more towards the narrative, cinematic, um, ambient side. Just, you know, you get familiar with a certain set of tools or a certain set of yeah. synths, a compositional style. Um, yeah, and it was when I was writing out there, 
uh, that I sort of fell into, or at least fell more in love with, um, you know, the dance side of electronic. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, slowly but surely, I was, you know, chipping away at a bunch of demos, which eventually, you know, got me signed by Mousetrap. And then that really kicked off that whole side of, uh, of the production musical journey. And that's the very, very short version. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. Well, and so let's kind of backtrack a little bit then. So, you know, getting to work with this, uh, getting to intern as a composer, studying composition in college, what kind, like, what about composition kind of sets your heart ablaze? What kept drawing you back to that, to that side of music? Because composition is not an easy task, especially once you really get into the nitty gritty of it. And you're oh, yeah. having to, and you're having to write for different instrument parts, having to write melodies, counter melodies, the whole nine. What continued to bring you back into composition? I think, actually, no, I'm not going to say a thing. I know um, uh, storytelling. You know, that was the one thing I always loved because we moved around. Um, my family moved around a lot growing up. Every two to three years, we were in a new place, um, and so there's not a lot of consistency with maybe your friend group or. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, the kids in the neighborhood. Um, so it can be a bit socially isolating and you need some kind of consistent thread through your story. And, and yeah. uh, mine was my hobbies and it was a, a lot of books, um, you know, a lot of imagination um, and yeah. music was, was the one. So when it came to uh, composition, yeah, it was, it was also the challenge of it all, but for sure the ability to write character, to write for motif, um, you know, to, to take your time and be patient. I mean, I was, that's when I started really, uh, you know, appreciating a different sort of side of film. Um, yeah. which I guess I got my BFA in the first place is just, you know, how do you tell stories? Is it, and I was spending all my time at art galleries as well. Um, but yeah, it's, I think the long form is, you know, it's a beautiful challenge, but yeah, you can write character. You can use an instrument as, um, as a narrative element. Uh, and I think, you know, speaking towards at least some of the projects of mine that have really kind of set me apart or at least, you know, done something a little more unique, I've been, mm -hmm. which has been specifically and deliberately narrative. Um, yeah. and I think it's, you know, it's not an accident. It's, you know, for sure on purpose. Um, yeah. And I guess that was what drew me towards composition and, and, you know, to be, you know, straight up, I just love that kind of music as well. Uh, yeah. I, I think there's like, there's a lot that you can achieve with, like wordlessness um you know there's there, there's very little room for interpretation when a when a track has a, a lyric like um uh i don't know like like a taylor swift like you know shake it off that's pretty obviously about shaking something off right yeah. but yeah but then um like you know a big piece like a wagner piece or a beethoven or you know i was a big chopin guy because my piano player first um and you can you know convey a lot of emotion but that emotion is going to be interpreted a lot different based on the the emotional um uh context of the listener and you know yeah. what's sad one person might be very something personal but what's sad means to somebody else might be weather inspired um and i think i appreciated being able to take my own story um and understand it through all this wordless music and yeah, yeah. it was just beautiful and i wanted to you know kind of try to give back to the music that meant so much to me and got me through a lot of isolation. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, and it's one thing that struck me is that when, it, you know, when we first started this conversation, you mentioned that your, your parents weren't 
particular practitioners of music. They they were fans of music, but not practitioners of music. How was that like even just being kind of the lone practitioner in your household? Like what I, I imagine it was a very supportive um, setting, but was it was it kind of this brave new world of like ter- like exploration for you? Like or were there other people, other friends in your areas that you found this camaraderie with through musical expression? I for sure tried to find, you know, interesting groups, you know, like even as soon as like grade six, we were, um, you know, me and my friends, we had convinced, you know, the teachers to let us play a little, you know, a grade six version of a punk show in our school. Right. Cause we were nice. all, nice. you know, drums and guitars and we're listening to stuff like, you know, suicide machines and all like the early kind of like, you know, eighties, yeah. nineties, little grungy but we we're also like you know always at the skate park too and that you know those those kind of subcultures can can bring with them their own kind of musical cultures as well right yeah so it was a lot that but yeah they were largely you know supportive if not completely um understanding it's just you know it's a language as much as anything else i mean everybody out there has a favorite song or a favorite artist um regardless of their familiarity with um an instrument or kind of how to compose just like you know everyone has a favorite food regardless of if they can cook or not right yeah and you know it was i I was very very busy and i still am very busy in in a lot of different areas of life and you know i i was always trying to be you know top of the class and yeah i played a ton of sports so um i think for them everything i did was uh full throttle um you know of course music too right uh so yeah they despite not being musicians themselves, I think, um, you know, my grandparents were huge lovers of music. They were, you know, they were the first ones to kind of embrace every new genre or style and give everything a chance. Maybe that filtered through my parents. They're a little more Mm -hmm. uh, play it safe, but yeah. uh, But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, and you know, my brother and sister, of course, you know, we're also playing music as well. And um, cool. Yeah, I mean, and now I've got like, you know, 15 guitars and banjos and trumpets and clarinet, <laughs> and a, you know, uh, I've recorded like, you know, folk albums and I tried to get those signed when I was like 20 and it's just honestly been music forever. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. So is piano still like your goat? Is that like the thing that ha- still anchors your heart or in your acquisition of instrumental talent throughout the year, has there been an instrument that's really kind of stood out to you like, Oh, this is, this one has my heart. Uh, yeah. You know, I'll say that there was a time in my life where, um, I've, I've never put anything above piano as far as what it means to me and how I can write on it. Uh, Mm -hmm. but there was, I was, I was way better at guitar than anything else in my, you know, musical journey. Like, do you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan? Oh, for sure. So I was, uh, I had scoured down, you know, the original uh, issue, Texas special pickups that he had. Um, I built like, you know, a bunch of strats just to his specs. I had, because <laughs> he was SRV on his big for Stevie Ray Vaughan. I got leather embroidered JDH for Jeffrey David Hartford on my big glass. Nice. Um, <laughs> a lot of permutations, right? I mean, I, I was playing open mics as like a, you know, when I had my hair long, I was trying to be like Neil Young and I had a big scarf and the big harmonica strapped nice. up. Uh, it's so easy to fall in love with music, isn't it? Um, and oh, I think, it really is. Yeah. I, I mean, falling in love is, uh, it's like even, you know, you fall in love with a girl, all of a sudden she's the perfect person. Um, and I yeah. thought I, I'm, I've fallen in love with, uh, 
you know, be it a, be it a girl or an instrument or anything, but yeah, to, to kind of circle back for sure. Yeah. Piano is going to be the start and the end of my story. I'm pretty sure. I love that. Wait. So, uh, so where did, let's kind of dig into this, uh, this exploration uh, or the, the dive into that Stevie Ray Vaughan a little bit. So how has your musical taste kind of changed throughout your life, like your lifetimes? Like what, when you were younger, what was the first big, um, like genre that you were just absolutely rinsing. And then after that, like, I remember my, the first genre that I like made my parents go out and buy me CDs for dude, early two thousands boy, uh, boy bands, like Backstreet Boys in sync, the whole nine. And then like evolving from there into like little, like, like a little bit of like pop hip hop. And then into like that, classic rock phase that every middle schooler goes through and all that like what were what were your musical phases uh yeah unfortunately i don't know if i've actually left any in the dust uh because i'll still like you know third eye blind's first album so good right so oh yeah like i'll always throw that on and that's one of those when i think about those first those first ones um you know it was a lot about you know uh what's being played in like the the hockey uh dressing rooms and uh, <laughs> what's at the skate with a lot of you know the kind of the fun cool crossover rock so so yeah it would be a lot of you know third eye blind and blink 22 and that's what sort of gets you to buy your first guitar right yeah yeah and for me actually yeah so well i i was learning guitar um but you know how some you know i was never like the, the cool kid but i always could you know kind of pull off um being good enough to fit in with a bunch of groups and they said well yeah we don't player for a band but we need a bass player my parents said jeff you know you're playing guitar and piano and the first instrument you're going to buy with your own money is a bass guitar and uh, <laughs> but i wanted to be in a band so bad a lot of bass yeah. guitar right um uh so those early phases were yeah the, the kind of the first chance you get but um but you know music discovery as i'm sure you know was super different before you know high speed internet right oh yeah oh yeah like i was uh you know, and, and as like you, you sort of go through your parents' record collection first, and that was mm. um, they had some wicked stuff though too, stuff that holds up incredibly well. Like obviously the Beach Boys, and you know I'm still to this day uh, learning new stuff that Brian Wilson wrote that's unbelievable. And I'd say he's maybe right at the top of the pyramid as far as the way he kind of composed and um, his arrangement and sense of melody. But uh, yeah, and that was man, if I'm going through the phases of music, this is going to be a long one, but there's so much fun. Like I could just talk about music for the next 80 years and this would just, you know, we'll yeah, just I love that. Um, but yeah. And then, then I started really kind of getting into a lot more of the compositional uh, stuff, especially playing piano and wanting to challenge myself and kind of push further and further. Um, you know, even, even like, you know, grade six and stuff. That's when I started really getting into all the Chopin stuff and, mm -hmm. uh, and always a big jazz guy, always a big blues guy. Um, jazz mostly for piano and trumpet, and blues was mostly for guitar. Um, you know, extremely challenging. And then, you know, I think, you know, grade eight hit, yeah, you said the classic rock phase and yeah. the high speed internet. I was one of those guys, uh, you know, through the mail, uh, trading Zeppelin bootlegs because I was like, oh my God, in 1965, they played a 50 minute version of, uh, of No Quarter. And they said, yeah, yeah. but you got to show that i don't have and so you're doing that and yeah. um i had the srv on my guitar strap uh, i also had uh, a big amp that i had the you know how jimmy page had like the, the zoso symbol on his amp oh yeah yeah so i stenciled that on mine and nice classic 
pick of of just about everybody, right? Like you, um, yeah, you, you learn so much just from trying to think, okay, how did they play that the first time? And then is that a lick you can kind of incorporate? I mean, um, yeah, oh, geez. It's like now I'm going back to like, you know, the first time I heard Bob Dylan and at the at the skate park, someone put on um, Times They Are Changing that album, right? Yeah, Which, yeah. Kind of hits. It's a bleak, moody solo record, but I thought it's <laughs> cool. And then I was buying harmonicas and learning. Okay, which ones do you buy in in which keys? And a blues one, you're basically buying the the harmonica and the subdominant, um, and like just all those little tricks you learned. Yeah, and, um, yeah, for sure. Well, because yeah, I was moving around a lot, so your friends disappear every couple of years because there's no social yeah. media. Then. Um, but you can bring your instruments anywhere you go. Uh, so, True. and I bet where, and I bet like the new places that you went also were kind of like also potentially had their own kind of little spin on whatever the music scene was and depending on the location, if you were moving around that much. For sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, a, you know, growing up, there's, you know, your parents record collection and they had some wicked stuff. Um, and I'm grateful that they had good taste. Um, yeah. And then when you start to branch out um, and kind of find people that also love music, you know, there's always yeah. the, you know, the prog rock kid in school. There's always like yeah. the jazz always and then you just start hanging out and you're trading licks or trading ideas and yeah uh, you know my first job as a as a was a dishwasher and i spent all my money buying uh you know buying cds and you couldn't really order stuff so if they had it in stock you'd buy it and that's when i got into all the leonard cohen and the tom waits and um the you know the kind of more esoteric stuff uh yeah and i, and I loved it i thought geez you can you can sound like that like you don't have to sound like the radio to have a career and and then stuff starts getting a lot more interesting, you know, uh, Yeah. when you realize that's what music can be. Yeah, that's amazing, dude. And so, well, and so now let's kind of traverse into your exposure to electronic music. Do you recall the first time that you were exposed to electronic music? The first time that you heard just this weird automated computer noise coming out in a melodic way? Yeah, I mean... I I mean, I'm sure everyone was exposed to different, you know, soundtracks, um, you know, for, for films and everything. And I guess you always got to give credit to Wendy Carlos, which is, you know, the big one being a big, like Stanley Kubrick fan. But mm. the first time I was exposed to electronic music, um, knowingly uh, delving into it as a genre, as an experience, um, it was uh, Boards of Canada's first album, right? Which okay. is, I think, uh, and then, yeah, for a long time, electronic music for me was just you know warp records ninja tune it was less the dance side and more yeah electronic music um yeah it was uh, I, I know they call it what is it like idm or whatever but i mm. think it's just, it's just great music um and yeah it happens to be the tools that they you know found to express their story happened to be uh, you know synthesizers and drum machines and resampling yeah. And, um but yeah it was all all that uh early warp record stuff um and it was for for a long time that was all the electronic music i was into i'd never you know kind of a shy kid never went out never you know maybe it wasn't that i didn't even get invited to anything that was kind of you know cooler and then after yeah. a break i did a whole uh you know backpacking thing and that's when you go to the places in berlin that only open at four in the morning and i thought yeah. there's and i'd never even had the guts to dance uh with you know with a girl probably like let alone alone and then yeah. I went there. It's not only was the music awesome, but you can actually dance by yourself. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. And that's a very before, like you are someone before and after. Uh, you you kind of come to that realization when you realize you can yeah. self and the music's going to sound that 
um, all-encompassing. Uh, then you think, can I try to do something like that? You know? Yeah. I love that. Yeah, dude. When that, that first time that you, that you feel that music just, just uncontrollably move you is that you're, you hit the nail on the head. That is a, a life altering experience for a lot of people. And it's, it's cool because it's, it's, it, gives you another medium by which to express yourself. Like, the, like they say that dancing is something that is so incredibly important from just a primal level for the soul, just to be able to express yourself through movement. Um, and so, yeah, being able to tap into that and at a club in Berlin at 4 a.m. no less, <laughs> what a, what a way to do it for your first time. <laughs> oh yeah. And then, you, you know, like, you know, in Amsterdam, and then you get the whole trance thing and, and then we were in France for a bit and I, and I was just doing the whole thing by, by myself. I was in, you know, a long relationship and I thought I gotta, I gotta try doing things that I, uh, I, I don't even know if I'm going to like, but I just got to see, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I figured out something about myself, even if I didn't like it. Um, and yeah. of course that I loved it. <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, and it's so, it's funny you say that like, cause nothing will inspire growth in you like, like a breakup or like heartbreak will that is some of the most powerful and transformative catalyst for, for growth within a person and being able to explore that um, and feel like, and have music as a central point during that growth is a phenomenal way to go through it. And so as you're exploring these sounds and you're getting more and more into this electronics, electronic side of things, you said that the warp records, those were kind of the first, the first sounds and themes that really captured your interest. Was yeah. there like a particular track that was especially impactful for you that when you heard that track, that was just the first thing you had on repeat. The first thing that you were just like, I cannot get enough of this song. Yeah. It's so for sure. It's gotta be boards of Canada. Like to this day, uh, are, like, are you a big warp guy too? Uh, um, I've uh, like, I've, recently started to get into that side of things see my for like the first sound that like really captured me was of all things like like that really heady um like bass music like pop like pop bass music like bass nectar and uh, oh, like right. skrillex and stuff like that um but now like in these past shoot what has it been oh my gosh like past eight years now it's really just taken the entire turn into like dance music and so i've only recently started to dip into that like warp record side of things yeah and so for me i think the reason why warp was such a big draw and you know ninja tune and uh and rns and compact and a lot of like you know alien tape and samurai yeah um i think a lot of it too is because it was so um it was so compositionally focused or at least I interpreted it as compositionally focused. And to this day, I, I feel there's so many parallels to jazz. Uh, yes. That, um, and even some of the the negatives about those genres, you know, both jazz and those kind of electronic genres where there's almost a, a, a tough barrier to entry. Um, mm -hmm. Not, you know, it's not always kind of the easiest thing to understand without the, you know, understanding the context of the genre, the history of it. Um, you know, you know, is it being complicated for complicated sake? Uh, and, you know, it does sort of push things a little bit further. Um, but yeah, I guess if we're going to pick one boards of Canada record, uh, let's go. Um, everything you do is a balloon. I think okay. it's, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a perfect way to get introduced to boards of Canada because it's, you know, compositionally, 
haunting. Uh, the production is is crisp but super unique, and it has that esoteric, um, a, a little bit mysterious quality that Boards of Canada has, where you can bring to it, you know, a bit of your own, you know, history, emotions, but yeah. it's just enough that no one else has been able to do it. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's where things get really exciting, and and that's sort of been. You know that the challenge of I think yeah, most musicians that I've I've spoken to and me personally mm-hmm. finding that balance between doing something that truly feels like your own um, while you know retaining some semblance of forward momentum career wise when when tastes are a lot more middle of the road. You know, I mean, you talk yeah. about like a restaurant; they'll have ten tables and they'll they'll struggle on their margins, and then you get like you know a subway that has a billion restaurants or something, right? Yeah. Um, so what is the success of a restaurant? You know, how much money you make? Is it how yeah. interesting that, you know, being critically acclaimed, but commercially underappreciated? Yeah. Uh, and I think, yeah, that's maybe a bigger question, but, um, but yeah, I think, you know, there's a, there's an evolving version of success for, you know, anybody in a creative pursuit, right? Yeah, for sure. All right. So Jeff, you said that you're, you're, you have a, a love of jazz here and it's kind of played out throughout college and throughout high school, playing in different jazz bands and such. Does the, do you ever take time to, you know, when you're concocting a new song or a new album um, and you're making these layers, do you ever kind of take time to scratch that, that jazz itch a little bit and maybe improvise over a little bit or how much improvisation is part of your part of your um, producing process? Uh, it's, it's a huge part. Everything I write, um, whether it gets released or not, starts on the piano. Um, in particular, I, I would say for every, I, I try to include one really kind of cool, um, y- you know, um, structureless, maybe kind of free form, at least time signaleless, uh, signatureless piece on, on each record. And I've got a lot more confidence in composing that way on the piano. I mean, I'll write, I'll write 15 or 20 piano tracks and then one will end up on the album because yeah. I know that I'm on an electronic label or something, you know, and I know that if yeah. most trap dead most is label, um, you could, as much as you want to just share everything you, you love, your favorite records. I've never had one of my favorite compositions do well. And mm-hmm. it's quite like the inverse. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, uh, yeah, all, all my favorite melodies are um, the result of, you know, sitting there for a very, very long time and just hitting record and, you know, and then I'll have, you know, two hours of, of melodies or harmonies or um, or just different voicings. And sometimes those will turn into something awesome. Sometimes they won't. But, uh, you know, you, you got to, you know, it's like when, you know, you're, you know, on a vacation or you're, you're with your girl or something you got to take like 50 pictures to get one good one. Right. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of piano records just to get one good melody or, or one kind of, uh, or one hook. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you go, there's the second um, album I wrote, uh, you know, there's this record called thunderstorms from the balcony on it. And that's, and you know, that, that was out here together. Correct. Uh, yeah. Out here with you out here together. Out was here like, with you. Um, yes. Yeah, that, and, that, the the mixed version of it. Yeah, and and that was sort of like you know, um, which I love by the way. I love that mixed version of it. it. The the story that was like that was told through just the extended mixing of the entire thing with the extra dialogue samples. 
I love that, dude. It was, it was it very much kind of tying it back around to one of our key words in this conversation so far. It was very cinematic in its in its representation, and it very it was very much a a full experience. I, so just need to give the props to that because I thoroughly enjoyed that listening. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so that's very like like narrative focused, and and that was like you know one of uh, sadly it was one of uh, a couple of pandemic albums, but um, but yeah, and those are you know a track like Thunderstorms from the Balcony. I'll probably write you know, uh, eight or 12 tracks just like that. And then one mm -hmm. will like the, the electronic context that yeah. you know, the label and what they're doing and, and how the Atlas projects perceived from the outside. Mm -hmm. um, Jeff, the musician. And then there's like Atlas, the project, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I well, and so, well, do you ever have any inklings of like, launching a separate project from atlas to whether that's whether that is electronic focused or dance music focused or whether that is like a like classical or jazz focused because it's not uncommon to see other artists like within dance music and they have like jazz projects on the side i know um oh, i can't i can't believe i'm blanking on his name right now but the saxophone player for big gigantic has a whole separate like jazz side project that he goes and tours with yeah i've i've definitely thought about well i've it's it's hard because you you want to be confident in what you do um yeah there are days where i'm, I'm quite confident in you know like let's say you had a whole album of stuff like um uh like you know that like you know thunderstorm from the balcony kind of kind of writing do you know the piano player mm -hmm. uh, dollars mm -hmm. um yeah, so yeah, piano player has these solo piano records but also is a writer and producer for stuff like feist and drake and and all that so yeah um i always wonder is it you know you've spent so much time building up you know what atlas is but when yeah when i think about it like the first record in mind that had like a million streams was mm -hmm. uh quiet ambient piano piece and that was yeah. still on dance label um yeah. and and i you know sometimes i kind of want to you know remind them that I, I know what their branding is and everything. Um, and, you know, touring is a big part of it. But uh, if the records that are connecting and, you know, racking up all these streams are, you know, just me sitting at the piano, um, you know, maybe it's okay to encourage that side. But then it's yeah. also, you know, do you want a restaurant with a hundred things on the menu? And that's sort of the yeah. battle. I, that, um, you know, do I want Atlas to be, you know, okay, you're, you're, you're going to get a show at 128 beats per minute and it's going to be this sound you can count on it. Or do you yeah. want to say, is this, you know, this broad spectrum composer, producer, um, live act. And yeah, there's, that's sort of the trick with a lot of the records I write across a lot of genres because, um, you know, there are times where I'll be only recording, uh, you know, folk guitar all week. And I know yeah. it's out as Atlas and it probably won't come out ever um but it's an itch i gotta stretch i gotta scratch and you know as a yeah. musician um you, you just learn so much by you know recording and composing and writing all these different styles and um and yeah so maybe there's going to be licks or voicings um or moods um or chord progressions that are maybe less danceable um but still electronic and their influences are um you know they're they're acoustic or they're 50 years old or something and they yeah. happen build through um i guess what the the version of the label that atlas is to them uh yeah it's 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 for sure a trick so, so to answer it simply yeah geez i if someone could go through my hard drive and say wow look at all these 300 you know 400 tracks that never found a home 
Um, yeah. I think we can shape this as, you know, uh, a really cool Atlas album, or let's partition these off into its own project. I just yeah. think, you know, you spend so much time writing and composing um, that maybe those records, they don't need to die on my hard drive. Maybe there's a place yeah. for them, um, but yeah. I'm not the hardest person at figuring out what that place is. I'm happy, yeah. right? Um, yeah. But I'm a marketer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Well, and I love that you kind of touched on the idea of um, and you kind of or you kind of use the analogy a little bit um, earlier as well. That idea of, you know, this one like Michelin star restaurant versus like a chain of, of subways or something like that, because you're like your library and your sound it like the the energy and aura that is conveyed through your through your writings through because it's to just listen to one atlas track does not do the project justice like you really have to listen to an entire project all the way through to experience those ebbs and flows like the the mix of emotion that comes through it um and it's a it's a whole journey it really is a whole journey and until you experience that whole journey, you only have a fraction of an idea of what the project is about, or at least that's what I experience as a listener. I imagine everyone's listening experience is different, but I think through that, it, it connects with, it connects with listeners uh, or it helps listeners to connect with the music and with you as an artist in a way that, that other kinds of music can't in a way that, you know, just that, that simple, like over and over, there's a time and a place and don't get me wrong. Like, dude, I can get down in a club to some boots and cats at 128 all night long. Oh, sure. But, but it's scratching a different itch. It's, it's almost not even in the same realm. You know, it's not, you're not, the, the two aren't serving the same purpose. And I think being able to appreciate and, and really internalize the, the journey that is being conveyed like through your projects. That's something that is, that I think has taken you so far as a, as an artist and has garnered the, the, the following that you do have. Um, and I think that's, that's really, I mean, it's been amazing for me as a listener, cause I'm going to be honest, like, like prog, like progressive house, just that kind that general, just like ebb and flow has, has never really been like just the thing that really, drew me and that really just captured my heart and once I started um once we like set up this this spotlight this interview I started like listening through your library and man I'm a freaking prog house guy well maybe I'm not a prog house guy but I'm an atlas guy now I'll tell you that much like I love the pieces that I've heard and I've had your mixes on repeat I'm trying to find more of your mixes online um and just like more of your like I would love to see video of a live show as well um, because I think just the experience that you're conveying and the, the opportunity for people to dive into those unspoken things that, that music can inspire within you that we were talking about earlier, that opportunity that you're providing people is something really special. Well, and to be honest, I think it's, uh, I've had a hard time with it. I've, I've written a lot of music and I, I know, well, we all know how, electronic music has it's got pretty specific partitions set up Mm -hmm, for sure and you know bookability is almost based on predictability you got to know what you're um and you know like the first time i had um you know like like i said you know for getting signed to 
you know, Deadmos's label and getting to, you know, uh, like collab with him and, you know, hang out. Like we, we did a record in his studio and that's kind of like a high BPM, you know, uh, you know, tech trans hybrid record. And that was yeah. so to, to work on and write. And then um, I put an album out this year that I, I basically like, you know, bled myself dry to write. And I don't think anyone either under, you know, understood it or there just wasn't like the marketing push, but yeah. I, uh, I thought I, I, I wrote my absolute heart out on it. Um, this yeah. one character. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this, you know, like a piano record on there called um, reminiscences of youth, which yeah. is, um, you know, it's based on this. Uh, well, it's the title of one of my favorite paintings at one of my favorite galleries. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, how do you, how do you sell that on a, on a dance label? And that is yeah. for sure tricks and, that I've I've not really um, nailed or, or understood. I mean, you know, to, to kind of refer to the food analogy again, you could be a pizza restaurant, right? And yeah. you could you could say, you know, let's try sushi on the menu. You could have the best yeah. sushi ever. Yeah. Um, people aren't going there for sushi, so they don't order it. The sushi chef thinks, ah, you know, people aren't buying it, and the restaurant, you know, owner thinks, hey, we gave you a shot. People aren't into it, yeah. um, but it matters so so much. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, and it's not just my own record it's everybody's records you know the context you know matters a ton but it's not that you know you think okay i'm looking for you know uh, a house record this guy puts out house records and then you know you go on spotify there's 20 of them or whatever right like even yeah you know on my spotify what is it like that you the most popular i think ah oh, geez um obviously i'm glad that that music has connected with so many people um but there are a lot of times where i feel that's not you know truly representative of me as an artist or yeah. a person um and then maybe that's another question you know um am i worried about representing myself as an artist or as a person and are those mm -hmm. things loud um because i i you know once a record does well should i write five versions of that record which i never yeah. do right i yeah. just start a new project um yeah uh and you know we all know the success of a lot of artists who have you know found uh you know, found one record really hits and then they just write, you know, 10 of those over the next five years and, yeah. you know, they can tour enough to retire. So, yeah, um, I've had that battle a lot, um, you know, coming from a kind of more introspective compositional focus, even before, you know, getting signed and being more of a uh, piano jazz, working for a composer lifestyle, um, always being motivated by the writing side. Um, yeah. Is it really an exciting as touring um, is, uh I, I feel like that's the reward for a good record. Um, yeah. I feel like the challenge for me is still producing and composing something that I feel is worthy of releasing. And yeah, a lot of times stuff I don't like comes out because uh, a label wants to sign it or something. And you, yeah. you guy that says no, so you say yes. And then you yeah. realize the, the optics of who you are are suddenly out of your control. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, I get that. Well, and, and, and I, I feel like it's a, it's something that a fair number of artists run into at some point as far as this idea of, of what is the authentic expression of, of my sound or what is the ex authentic of expression of, of me as an artist, like you were just saying, not just as Atlas, or, but as me as an artist and me as a person, because I feel like in my, well, in my limited experience and knowledge that the being able to um, 
being able to to bridge that gap between like who I am as a person and who I am as an artist and like try and align those things as closely as possible. Like that, that like brings the most authentic expression of your sound that you're able to take what's in your soul and put it into a recording. And it sounds like you're all like, you are very capable of doing that. I mean, shoot, man, like you, you're saying that you're able to record, like you've recorded folk albums and all that, I, which I would love to hear sometime. Uh, because I can, uh, being based in North Carolina, the folk music is heavy here. Um, but the, uh, yeah, being able to bridge that gap, I, I think is part of that artist's journey, you know, and can, and being able to, and the business side then becomes a part of it. Yeah, for sure. Like that being able to find the appropriate outlet for that and whether it's in two completely different veins, or if you find some like somebody in the same vein that's able to like that's able to convey it in a sense of of from a place of appreciation that is um digestible to everybody because if you think about it what what is one of the what's something that's so incredible about dance music is the feeling that it inspires is these unspoken things whether it's some like something like like that you would have in a Berlin club at 4 a.m. That's just making you like dance uncontrollably by yourself or whether it's uh, like an ambient track um, that is just giving pause to sit and feel it kind of wash over you like the closing track of your of um, carry it with you uh, afterglow. It was right. Oh, yeah. And I mean, <sighs> Yeah, and that was very uh, that. That's like you know the denouement of a psychedelic experience when everything is warm and colorful, right? That's yeah, how, that, exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, and so and so, but like a, a track like that, it exactly that that washing over you. There's that radiating glow, like being able to convey both of those things, whether it's conveying this, making you dance or whether it's conveying like making you stop and and bask in it you know what i mean like i think those are two we're talking about crossover those are two parts of the same of the same end of the same end goal is conveying experience conveying feeling and so i think being able to just trap down an or convey to an audience that look, these are part of the same thing. Like we are just conveying feeling, conveying emotion here, and appreciating the ability to convey those things. Um, yeah. I, I you you would think that that would be that that would be. I mean, it's easier said than done. Obviously, it's it's very easy to romanticize these ideas and these concepts. And I know well, that the the business side of that definitely has to come in. And there's a little naivete on my part for that. But that's just where I think where I think it would come from. Well, you know, and to find another parallel, no no one on earth would say, yeah, calamari and biscotti go great together. But you'd say, wait, they're part of a great meal. Like you, you can start yeah. there, right? Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's you know, to kind of go back to one of the first questions you, know, you asked, yeah, all these things are are narratively focused for me. Um mm -hmm. yes, yeah, telling books. I'm you know, I'm I'm, a, I'm more of like a book, art gallery, go camping, fishing yeah. kind of guy. Uh, than I am uh, get you know anything else right so yeah um, and, and yeah and that is sort of 
I, I guess as this is, you know, an introduction or in, you know, an overview of, of what Atlas is, uh, maybe this is my one chance to say that uh, I, I think I know what it, what it is, but it's always a, it's always a battle when, you know, the, the projects you do kind of, um, you know, for deadlines and, and all those things are the ones that, you know, seem mm. to, uh, you know, dominate the, the focus of what people think you are. And then, you know, an album like, you know, carry it with you. I, you know, it's a lot of influenced by like, you know, really kind of fuzzy dub techno stuff and you know, a lot more kind of, you know, hybrid ambient thing. I mean, I wrote it at a pretty dark time mentally and mm -hmm. as a exercising those emotions. Um, yeah. And you get booked to, uh, you know, I mean, I've shown up at clubs and they say, hey, you played a lot heavier than we thought you were going to. And I think, oh, OK, cool. And then, you know, I'll get booked for something else. And, you know, you'll be going on at two in the morning and the guy before you was playing like, you know, really hard, fast house or something. And so yeah. you got to play a certain genre. But then you get some, you know, some quiet folks at the at the front who maybe this was the first time they went out to a club because they really liked your chill out records. And yeah. Well, they spent the money and they give up their evening to come see you. And I'm trying to balance, geez, am I trying to make sure the promoter's happy? Am I trying to keep the energy up at the club? But then yeah. these people, um, they, they give up their evening and, and bought a ticket because I wrote something kind of quiet and pretty uh, mm -hmm. that helped them through. And uh, to be perfectly frank, I think I've never find, found, um, you know, the best way of, of balancing those. Uh, and maybe, you know, should I be more selective in the records I release should I be more specific in, you know, the way I, you know, play the shows, but um, it's hard when you, you know, you love a lot. Right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, sometimes you think, you know, I've played that record out the last little, the last little bit. Um, and you find something that you, you personally, you know, you dug through Beatport or, you know, or on a thousand one track list or on SoundCloud. Mm -hmm. and you, I want to see how this sounds loud. Um, yeah. And it's, awesome because you're exposing them to a brand new record they haven't heard or is that selfish because they came here to your they came there to hear your stuff and you're uh and you're indulging your own preferences um yeah. and it's it's tough i don't know i mean uh and even going to see artists that i i love i i'm sort of split on on what i'm hoping for each night you know yeah yeah well and it's interesting because it's like and it's to tie it back around it's all kind of part of an over an overarching experience you know there, there's so much room for various kinds of expression through one artist set there's so much room for what you might get as as an audience member and i think i think it almost at least from an audience member perspective like it really kind of comes down to expectation management you know like i mean there is something there is something pleasing about going in with an expectation and hearing what you're expecting to hear and be like, yep, that's, that's, that's the itch I was hoping to scratch right there. But, and maybe that's, maybe this is just the perspective that I have, like from being able to interact with artists such as yourself and hearing the processes and the thoughts that, and the emotions that kind of go through their heads as, as an artist prepping these things and trying to, trying to come up with something that will, will please the most parties involved. Um, but just appreciating that this is the way that, that this person chose to express themselves in that night. Um, and that, I mean, and that, that's, that's really just, that's, that's 
it's learned listening almost. It's purposeful listening. It's thoughtful listening. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, it's not fair to ex- expect everybody to be able to do that either. You know, that's, I mean, you really have to, you really have to be a, a, a lover of music and be exposed to a lot of music and love a lot of music to kind of garner that ability to listen thoughtfully and listen from a place of total non-judgment and like minimal expectation whatsoever and just appreciate the experience of what you're hearing in this very moment right now. Uh, and so I, I, I'm managing that as an artist. I, I can only imagine how how mind-numbing that can kind of be sometimes and and almost like how it can almost challenge you and the expression of your identity as an artist as well. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, no one says, you know, I'm going to go to the Coldplay show and I hope they don't play, um, I hope they don't play the scientist, you know? Yeah, yeah. You you go to a show like that, you say, play the hits. Like, you know, you've been to, they say, we're going to, we're going to play something new. And everyone's like, "Eh, I don't know, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, you want to, uh, and that, and that's the, the, I think the unique thing that electronic music um, can both a offer, um, you know, and b challenge itself with because you, you know we're in a place where I'd say mostly I'm a, uh, you know, I'd say like a writer, producer, um, songwriter, mm-hmm. and you, you want to go and show those those records off. You think, wow, you know this record connected with you and you saw I was on lineup. Um, and the only reason you knew my name is because of a record I wrote. So obviously you're going to the show because you, you liked something I did. Um, but then there's, so that's that side of it, but there's also the whole DJ culture where people are, they're expecting, you know, curation and, and novelty mm-hmm. right. There's, you, you take like a Ben clock who, you know, yeah. hasn't, doesn't really put out records, but is a DJ DJ. Right. Yeah. And you're you're hoping for those twists and turns on over a long set, um, but then nobody's going to go to a Porter Robinson show um, and hoping they don't hear any Porter Robinson tracks, right? Yeah, yeah. And I've really found that to be like a, a, like a struggle. Like I I've I've got confidence in my ability to write and produce, um, but things sort of shift and evolve. I mean, because I've never really had that kind of breakthrough. Uh, tour or show or anything we had one planned that was going to be awesome then the pandemic hit and then that just switched mm. to, like I'm finishing up my my fourth album since 2020 um, mm. and you know I mean no matter you know how great those like you know chill vocal records do on certain radio stations or playlist or that when you're going on at you know at two in the morning uh, on a Thursday yeah. the people listening to those like chill vocal records they they're not going out at two in the morning on a thursday right yeah, um yeah like that are out there it's a very different crowd so yeah it's such a different game and it's one that i've never really figured out because you hate letting people down they yeah. say i mean great but i was like dude you can't you can't show up um you know at a dark box of a club um yeah. and with something pretty i mean the guy yeah. the, for you you got, you're going to mix in, right? You're going to say, okay, what, what tempo are you at? And what are you playing? Okay. I'm going to mix yeah. in a loop. And then, you know, you can sometimes find, find your way back to your sound. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say, honestly, I'm, I'm good at some stuff and there's other times where um, I, I still feel like there's a lot of opportunity to really shape things. Like maybe does, does my tour have to be in a planetarium next time? Right. 
Um, Dude, that'd be so sick. <laughs> yeah, and and it's those kind of questions. It's what is the best context for your music? I mean, it's like if you want to, you know, I, I could I could be a DJ and I could tell you, man, I want to hear this record. I want to hear that record. And I'm going to play those out. And I'll find what key minor in. And I can yeah. mix in records every two or three. Um, but if you want the whole, like, you know, Atlas, Atlas experience, maybe it needs moments that are more, you know, introspective and cinematic. And you want, you do want the, the all-encompassing, you know, 3D atmospheric visuals that only an, a planetarium can provide, right? Like, if I'm yeah. going to go full cinematic, is that the way to do it? Um, yeah. Because... Well, that was something I... Oh, sorry, my bad. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm just saying, like, that's um, because of, like, the real spectrum, especially when you get into the... Like, I know albums aren't... Um, I mean, if you're trying to, you know, hit a bunch of streams, you don't do it with an album. You focus on a single, you bring in the vocal in the first 15 seconds. Everyone knows like the formula, but yeah. an album, like, you know, it's an art form and there are certain ideas that you can only put in an album. Like when you, to go back to those ideas, we're talking about reminiscence of youth or thunderstorms from the balcony. You can't, you can't do those as singles. They don't work as a single. Um, yeah. but they're, in my opinion, they're too good to just die on your hard drive. And where do they fit? Well, they have to fit on an album, right? They have to be part yeah. of a large story. And that's that's the only way to release them. And so um, regardless if, you know, only one track off the album, you know, makes it on a playlist or connects with people, uh, yeah. the rest of the tracks only fit in um, if they're part of a story. And that's how you got to write them. Yeah. Well, and so, and I love that, like, even your thought process is kind of, gearing towards okay well how like what is the best way to represent my myself and my art live because uh, that was something I, I was curious about asking you like uh, when I was kind of digging for for this interview I was looking for some videos of some some uh like live shows and didn't come across too many but I was wondering if you had any thoughts of kind of deep diving into the creation of this highly immersive live experience like even with I mean, shoot, as a composer, even like with maybe some live orchestra or anything like that, like what is the most, like if you had all of the money and resources and the perfect space at your disposal, what do you think would be the most perfect, authentic representation of your sound and your experience? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. And I've always thought, uh, and you, I mean, this is such a, you know, maybe bizarre reference and I know they don't even do their shows anymore because of how hard it is to present it. And I'm not sure I would even do it that way, but maybe the only way to explain it is some halfway between, have you seen the way Niels Fromm performs? Um, yeah, actually. Yeah. So either uh, it'd be halfway between what Niels Fromm does and what Spongle does. Okay. <laughs> I was not expecting to hear Spongle, but okay. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, I mean, Spongle is so cool, right? Like, uh, yeah. Um, so it, it'd have to be that it's like, you know, there's times when you're going to be, you know, you'll, you'll be standing up, but you won't be dancing. You're letting stuff wash over you. Um, and I mean, I, especially since you said you're into like a lot of the bass music, I think, um, there's a reason it used why to be not so much anymore, but that's what, it's, that's what got me into it. That's what got me into EDM. Yeah. Or dance music in general. Well, I'm talking about sets. There's a reason yeah. why, you know, a techno set can be five hours um whereas like a bass set rarely goes over an hour because it's quite fatiguing as a set yeah. right yeah and i think the uh the, the focus and i guess we'll call it the thesis of the performance yeah. works shorter um and yeah i so yeah i guess the, the dream setup obviously would be you know massive stage and 
I don't have to try to impress the, a lot of times you get booked and you, I, I still feel like I'm, even though they're not, I feel like everyone's with their arms crossed waiting to be impressed. And so mm-hmm. I'm thinking I play, do I play my stuff. Uh, and it's not going to go super hard. Do I play something that's going to really just like really rock the walls? Um, yeah. And you know, you, you can be very, as much fun as you can have up there, you can be very self-conscious of every decision you make, you know, yeah. should I, you know, 16 bars earlier, should I have, uh, you know, should I have opened with this track, you know, and then instead of waiting for them to have a good record, I open with a great record and then I have a lot more freedom for the next, you know, five, uh, five mixes. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm at an interesting point where I've, you know, put out so much music, way more than a lot of like some of the big touring acts and, uh, but the big touring acts are so focused on being, you know, a live show. And yeah. that's great. I've been a studio guy. Um, and and how do I find the balance between the two? Or, or is it time to say, okay, I've got enough records. Let's let's use those ingredients to shape something really cool live. I mean, yeah. take the melody from this one and the hook from this one and the percussion from that one. And then when you go and see the show, if it's going to be you know, 90 minutes, are you getting um, elements of a hundred of my tracks over that 90 yeah. minutes instead of just saying, okay, what, what do you do in like normally do in 90 minutes? Let's say sometimes you do 20 tracks or something. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, yeah, the, the dream show would obviously be everyone loves everything I do and it's beautiful. <laughs> like going to a, a movie or something. Right. Yeah. There's character, there's narrative, there's a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, yeah. And, don't have all the answers right um very much 2001 a space odyssey it'll it'll get you feeling like your your imagination muscle has been scratched but uh, you wonder um what did that part mean and and what was that all about right uh like i just straight up don't have the budget man like i i wait for hell otherwise i'm rice and lentils right so yeah uh, i get it i get it i relate to that on a spiritual level my guy (laughs) so um, that's that's the reality of it too and you know like my like my manager, all his acts are uh, like, you know, Fisher and Chris Lake and the big touring house acts, right? Yeah. Um, patient with me writing my, uh, you know, my, my pretty little melodies. So, yeah. um, I, I, and it means a lot actually when they have, you know, they believe in me because they believed in a lot of acts that have done, you know, wicked stages, basically the biggest stages you can do. Um, and they don't, they don't tell me what not to write. Um, yeah. I could give, you know, an ambient loop and they say, wow, we love it. I could give them something that has like, you know, a vocal and it's, you know, very three minute progressive house going to be on a playlist and they go, Oh, we yeah. love that. So, um, yeah, they've been very supportive, but I also know that we'd, we'd all love it if, uh, you know, I wasn't so worried about, Oh, how am I going to pay for this bill next month? Um, and if yeah. that's or if that's through making records a little safer or what, um, those are tough decisions, but, uh, like yeah. I don't want to be a musician. Right. Yeah. Well, dude, I mean, and it's funny because that's almost like that's the that's almost the price that comes with the with a, a pursuit of passion, you know, with, with really doing something that you love. Uh, it, you there's this stability that's almost sacrificed a little bit with it um, because they're like. Because you have the opportunity to traverse territory that few other people have. Um, but because few people have traversed that, like into that realm, um, there's, there's not this guarantee of, of stability and return on it. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm confident in saying that 
that's part of what like brings us back to passionate pursuits. It's like once you get a taste of the reward and the fulfillment that can come from taking something from your heart, just the the time and the sweat and the tears that you pour into something and seeing a final product or a final result play out in a positive manner, there's, there's almost no going back. You, like the, the idea of doing anything but that all of a sudden just, just is stale, you know, and it's, it, it's, it just keeps pulling you back in for more. And I mean, but kind of touching back around to, you know, your, their, your label is, as, as you said, like patient with you as you're producing pretty melodies, dude, I like, I think there's, there's still such a, there is such a huge, um, there, there is still such a demand for that. Uh, um, I mean, like take, like take Porter Robinson, for example, dude, pretty melodies, all, especially in recent years has like, has been like some of his, some of his go-to work and like the, some really just clean piano, um, piano, um, piano tracks have been some of the best thing or some of the most, um, well-received work that he's done. And so I think you're like, you're well on that track. And I think it's, you're garnering that following and it's, I think it's, I think it's going to freaking play out for you, man. I really think it's, I think there's going to be some beautiful, beautiful things that happen. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see it play out for you and coming down the line, I'm going to be looking for you to like come through North Carolina so I can come see a show now. Oh dude. Yeah. Find me a trail. We'll, we'll run the day before and we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do the show and we'll celebrate after eh? Yes, dude, that would be a bomb time. Oh my gosh, that'd be great. Okay, so we're gonna continue with the we're continuing with some other questions here. Like I we I I love that we're just chatting here, but uh, I we have more questions that we that I gotta ask. Yeah. Um, you kind of touched on you know learning lessons from each album. Can you kind of give us some insight into where you were at and kind of what you were hoping to convey with each of your with each of your albums? Sure. So Lavender God was my very first album album but i didn't have enough money to have like a good computer so i had to almost map everything out by hand because i could only have one um you know one synth channel open in ableton at a time yeah yeah and print audio dump it into an audio channel and then have to write the next thing so there's you, you can't be you know into the project 40 channels be like you know what oh geez i wish i could change um you know the, the voicing on this synth or yeah or I've already printed audio, deleted the synth um, so that I could have the resources to now bring in a piano line or something. Yeah. So, so for whatever reason, that project ended up feeling a lot more collage based. I would have to go back and find old demos, resample those, pitch them down, pitch them up um, because that's all my computer could handle. It couldn't handle actually yeah. having one open at a time. Yeah. And I loved the process of that. Uh, it was super interesting, really challenging, really frustrating. The computer was dying. I couldn't even open YouTube because opening a video would, would crash the computer. Um, so yeah, most of it was kind of mapped out by hand and just basically resampling a bunch of my old demos and, um, and you know, doing it quite collage-based. Uh, I, I personally haven't, don't listen to a lot of those albums anymore. Um, uh, so then the next one was, what was it? Oh yeah, then the pandemic hit and I wrote Out Here With, with You. Um mm -hmm 
because it was a pretty, you know, bleak and brutal time, especially in Canada, specific lockdowns. And I had to cancel yeah. two. It's going to give me the chance to, you know, uh, pay off bills and, uh, you know, buy my grill, all these things and yeah. all, you know, put on hold. Um, you know, yeah, you had to move back home. And the only respite from this, that darkness and that frustration and the self was, um, yeah, like running, canoeing, camping, fishing with, you know, my girl. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wrote all these kind of chill, ambient, uh, pretty simple records. And, you know, some of them into this thing called out here with you. Cause at the time I, I had owed all those albums to finish my mousetrap contract. Mm-hmm. I was, I was so, so, so worried about out here with you. Um, almost to the point of like embarrassment about it and thought people were going to like rip me. I've never felt like a lot of love in music. I thought, you know, I wasn't, you know, uh, dancing enough for the dance crowd. I wasn't smart yeah. enough for the boards of Canada crowd. I'm not cool enough for the underground crowd. I just yeah. sort of do my, and it feels very kind of lonely and I'm very, like I, I've never looked at like a comment or like a, like a Reddit thread or anything in uh, in years because I saw one really mean comment and and that was like probably four years ago and since then I haven't been able to get the guts up to go online and yeah um, uh, and so I I put that out and I was very sad to put it out um, but it was sort of just you know just like a journal entry of a record you know what I mean it was yeah. I, I was if it wasn't for, you know, being out there with Melissa, um, you know, out here with you and that's, you know, that's her on the cover of it. Eh? Yeah. Um, I would, I probably wouldn't have survived the pandemic. I mean, there's a lot of people I know that had tough times with, you know, addictions or suicide. And it was a dark time for a lot of people, especially musicians who, um, or anybody that was in something that was so socially focused. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, to this day, I, uh, that, I, I wrote it just as a, as an act of survival. Um, but yeah. I know it's a little softer and it's weird to like apologize. Cause if it came out, you know, alongside, um, you know, if it was rebranded and kind of more of that Tycho kind of artists, yeah. maybe it would have done different, but it was on like a dead most label and that audience expects something. So yeah, not hard on it or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, likewise coming up to carry it with you, the last album I owed to most trap, that was very much uh, like an even more desperate kind of active survival. And there were things that I had gone through and my family went through and, um, and the whole idea of carry it with you is uh, you know, all the good stuff and the bad stuff you as hard as you want to move on and, and forget it or process it. You don't really, you just carry it with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of how I wrote that record. And none of them have any vocals because I, I didn't have the money for them, like clearing yeah. the legal for lavender God, which wasn't even that many vocals, but yeah. that basically, I, you know, I, I probably made like two bucks off the, off the whole album because I spent all the money wow. trying to clear the vocals on the, on the record and the mastering. Yeah. And the lead. So, uh, yeah. And, and those are the three albums. Like, you know, I, I, I personally feel I wrote my heart off, uh, for, for carry it with you, but, um, but I also, ha- I, I had to write that, uh, just kind of stay alive and, um, yeah. and, and survive and, you know, I, I tried to do something with it that maybe didn't fit into the dance is um, maybe there was there was a fork in the road, maybe 30, 40 years ago, where electronic music split between electronic music and dance music. Um, mm, OK, yeah. And I think that's always something that I've tried to kind of battle is, you know, well, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a DJ. I'm not a dance artist, um, but I'm not really a composer or producer. And, you know, where, where does the music really fit in? Right. It's yeah. Um, 
and I'm still working on that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and it's and it's interesting, you know. But at the same time, it's like, why does there need to be a a, a label or a box on it? You know, like, and that's like bringing it back around to the idea of just like that thoughtful, that thoughtful listening, that just that that appreciate that appreciation for for what it is and the experience that it conveys, and the the journey that it that it brings listeners on. Um, because I, I, I mean, well, you might say like, like not really DJ, but not like a composer producer. I think just as much of an argument could be made that you're also very much both, you know? And it's, uh, and I think that's, that, that's just a, a beautiful thing is that the fact that the, that it almost not it, I wouldn't even say that it has a hard time being boxed. I say that it transcends the box, you know, and I think that's kind of like the, the path that it's almost on is it's like, it's operating on a higher wavelength than, than something that can just be contained into like this sect, you know? That's, that's what I'm like really trying to do. Like my girlfriend and I, we're not, um, we're not fancy or materialistic. We're just trying to figure out, you know, how do we be ourselves um, mm -hmm. and let that sustain us. And, yeah. and, you know, music's tricky and, you know, these, these next few projects I'm, I'm, I'm putting out are going to be a real smattering of things that are, are going to be, you know, edited, edited for, you know, this label wants that kind of, you know, track. And, um, and then there's things that are going to be a lot more self-indulgent musically that I'm personally proud of, but I think, you know, especially if you come from dad's background, you know how hard it is to sell stuff that's leans a little more academic. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but you know, those are the things that I think, you know, challenge and motivate me and drive me forward as, as a musician. Um, I, there, I've come to those kind of, um, those bridges a few times where all of a sudden, like, you know, a record will do really well or it'll get a great placement or, you know, it goes off awesome in a, in a club. So you think, well, do I, do I just keep writing that over and over? Um, yeah. And, and, you know, build a live experience about this one magic energy that I tapped into or do you say, well, I, I, I want to, I, I push myself to write that, but I want to push myself to write something else. Um, mm -hmm. Right now, I might push myself 10 or 20 records in a row that just don't connect. Um, yeah. And I still don't know what the right path is, but, uh, you know, it's all come from a love of writing composition. Like, you know, just because I, I didn't sign the... Uh, you know the folk and banjo records that i wrote doesn't mean i didn't learn something in the process you know just because yeah. i i left la to sign with deadmos's label it doesn't mean that i uh, I, I stopped loving you know composition and, and writing for motif and geography with you know okay the cellos are going to come yeah. in now and you know when do you just because they could play the same note when do you use a trombone versus a french horn and why would you yeah. insert um, because the timbre is different and, um, or, or maybe, you know, it's, it's approaching a different frequency when, you know, the, the same F will feel a little more pinched in this instrument than that one. I mean, yeah. I love the, those motivations. Um, and, uh, but I also recognize that sometimes those are quite selfish motivations. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, then it's like, well, when you, when you get to the point where you, you can use music to pay your bills, you know, should you write for, you should, should you write for, you know the audience or issue right for yourself um or is there yeah. a middle middle of a venn diagram right and i yeah. think they're all satisfy both people that like my music and you know me the writer of it so yeah for sure and now kind of like 
go touching into that professional side a little bit. How did your like? Can you kind of dig into the process of when your narrative kind of started to switch from like from fan to professional kind of, especially as somebody who is kind of already well on their way to a different kind of career in music for, for composition. Uh, Like, I think I stumbled upon something saying that you even, um, that you even composed like a Lord of the Rings esque thing for a barbecue sauce commercial. That was at the first, (laughs) I was working at after, uh, after you, and I said, yeah, I really want to do this. I want to be a, you know, I want to be a composer and that's, you know, I got my, um, you know, bachelor of fine arts and all that. And, and I got hired at a studio, um, you know, more as like, you know, an engineer, but they knew I wanted to be a composer and they would throw me a couple of pitches for these companies and big advertising. Right. So, yeah. Uh, and you know, of course I loved that and it was, you know, really fun to learn and, and, you know, sit there and, um, and that's what kind of led me to, you know, Los Angeles and, you know, working with uh, yeah. that component on, you know, kind of super big projects and, and, and learning a ton. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, I was, I was specifically focused on that career path and I knew what it was. It's, you know, you're, yeah. you're an engineer or assistant composer, and then you are, um, you're writing a few more cues, even though the main composer is getting the credit on that movie or that TV show. Um, and then maybe you get your own project or you get additional music by in the credits. Mm-hmm. And I knew the work up in, um, in LA with the composer route was going to be. Um, but that was the time sort of when, you know, Deadmos was sort of setting a new standard on what um, not just, you know, the writing, but the, the sonic fidelity of what he was pulling off. Okay. And no, unless I can get a demo signed for his label, uh, that was my my bar. If if yeah. if they were records, then I'll switch. Then I'll then yeah. I'll really electronic music, uh, or pardon me, the dance side of electronic music. Otherwise, yeah, um, there's so many you know challenges in um, you know composition and, and orchestral scoring that that was I was going to pick. Um, you know, fortunately, uh, yeah, Deadmos and his team did time me and you know he was the reason why that i i was really excited to switch to the dance side and so you know i i was opening for him for free i you know i was meeting him um we we ended up you know touring together you know went to his wedding we atv together we put out oh shit dude like, you guys are homies you're like oh i was at his house for a party like a week ago and um and you know the story sort of evolved and and i thought okay well geez like that i, I never thought i would get to that point um but i still have a lot of a lot of life left so um what what else am i going to write like how am i going to yeah. um you know it's one thing to in music learn the tools and the production to to you know to get that to that stage where okay you can get signed you can play some shows that's super hard but you can get there without really sounding any different you can just be one more good act they can throw on a playlist or on a on a lineup or something yeah. I thought, okay what's what what do you do after that well you got to find your own voice you got to sound a little bit like yourself that's yeah. a lot of um so then you you if it's you know melodically or compositionally or if it's um certain structures or um i never did it on the, the branding side i was always thinking everything has to you know start and end with how i write yeah a voice but 
then it's even if you get fortunate enough to find a voice, what are you going to say with that voice? Um, and that's what I've, uh, I guess, mostly working on now. And I know what I care about. I know what I love. I know what motivates the writing. But is that coming across properly? Um, yeah. I guess that's what I'm working on now. Um, I, you know, I, I, I love that. I love that what you just said, that even if you are fortunate enough to find your voice, what are you going to say with that voice? I, I love that. That's, yeah. I mean, that's something that, that like needs to be considered. Like what is, what is going to, like, what are you going to do with that opportunity? You know, how are you going to choose to express yourself? What are you going to choose to, what are what are you going to choose to define you? You know, I think that's, I, I love the thoughtfulness of that. Well, and that's the thing, you know, um, I'm sure I'm sure you've read obituaries, right? I've never seen an obituary say, "Oh, and they worked 80 hours at the office," or "Oh, you should have seen, you know, how big their bank was." Yeah, it's all yeah. Uh, it's the character qualms. It's you know they they were there for me in a jam. They uh, they always found a way to help others. And you know, at, at some point, you and I are both just going to be an obituary, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And those are those are pretty short. Uh, they're maybe get paragraphs, right? Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I've, not to say I'm I'm looking backwards trying to write my obituary in real time, but um, yeah, you become very aware of these things after you go through certain experiences in life and you see close people to you, um, you know, not get the chance to to write the full story and you know to have their story be told in in hindsight or past tense and um, and to have the chance to you know play some shows and um, you know put out some records is is a thrill, but you know can you or should you do something more personal with it? Um, yeah. And I don't know is, uh, but I know that I asked myself the question and maybe that's what a lot of the music is. It's, it's looking for the answer, but if you don't have the answer, what do you gain by asking the question? For sure. Well, and that kind of like, I, that ties in perfectly to kind of what I wanted to ask next, you know, with the, the, the music that you've, you've written, whether it's been, whether it's been um, released or not, or whether it's sitting on your hard drive, it sounds like this, there's this common thread across a lot of it that just how much, how much of yourself you pour into it, um, how much emotion goes into it, how much just past experience goes into it. Does it ever get, does it ever get difficult to, to pour that much of yourself into your writing process? Like, does it ever kind of trudge up things that you like might be navigating at the time or like is it does it provide a catharsis or does it like does it make navigating those things difficult sometimes yeah and a lot of times you don't actually want to do it but you have to you're you think well you know i, I don't want to walk down to home depot and try to find a job so if i deliver this album i get paid for it um but i don't want to write something shitty and have people hate me for it and but the stuff that i think means a lot to me would mean going through emotions that I'm not excited to revisit. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, it's, it, it for sure can be. And it's tricky, especially like in dance music where, you, you know, it's, it's almost about, um, you know, it, ha it has to be about, you know, the event and the emotion and the energy and what it feels like live. But also, you know, when I learned that, okay, well, you know, a lot of the records that are going to connect with people aren't necessarily the ones that are going to go off at the club. And that's a really tricky balance to figure out too. Um, because, yeah, you know, like I said, I've never figured out how to really translate 
the best of what I think I write into something that is exciting live while being almost a little more uh, easily digestible. But, but yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot of my stuff. Um, well, and a lot of that, I just don't put out. I write it because I have to write it or because, mm-hmm. you know, what, what do I love to listen to? And, you know, there's something I want to hear, but I, I can't find anyone doing it. I'm going to write it just so I can listen to it on my own time. It's yeah. not going to release it, but I kind of wanted yeah. to hear it. And it's sort of, um, you know, how everyone has like a weird food thing. Like maybe they'll put uh, pickles and peanut butter on their grilled cheese. And they know they're not oh, yeah. going to at a dinner party. <laughs> That's what they do in private. So I yeah. have music to make for myself in private because yeah. I want to hear no one else is making it. Yeah. Um, once in a blue moon, those records will come out. And once in an even rare blue moon, people will like them. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's well, ongoing. Well, to your point about, you know, you want to hear music that like you haven't heard, but you want to hear it. And so you make it. And sometimes like maybe sometimes it sees the light of day and some and even on rarer occasions, it really hits. Just to kind of reference a, another artist, you, you know, Fat Boy Slim. Yeah, dude, that's how he got into writing his his songs and his library was because he was you know playing out and the the sounds that he wanted to put into his his performance didn't exist, and so he was like, "Well, I'm gonna make them," and he ended up just pioneering this big beat movement. Who knows, dude? You might be on the cutting edge of a new of a new renaissance. Yeah, I don't even know if I want to be on the cutting edge. I just want to find a way to understand myself, you know? <laughs> it, like, it's hard enough being in my own head, alone, inviting everybody else in there. <laughs> True. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, the, the forthcoming projects are, are super interesting. And, um, I they, you know, I know my manager really let me, you know, do my own thing for my own personal reasons with, you know, carry it with you. And a lot of stuff is now it's going to be, um, I'll call them more digestible vocal records. We have this album coming out that I've I've written and produced the whole thing, and every thirteen of the all thirteen of the records on the album are the vocals are with this English folk singer. So we thought, oh, it's gonna be like Max Cooper meets Coldplay or something like that, right? Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and it's a really cool album. But um, and then you know that same uh, that same label they were they were saying, you know, do you have any uh, piano work? I said, geez, all, all I do is piano work, you know, and <laughs> I'll tell you some of the records I referenced and then I'll give you some of my stuff from like my Dropbox. I'm like, oh, now yeah. I get what wrote. Like the, the kind of more modal, you know, like the modal jazz or the, like the, um, you know, Chili Gonzalez piano stuff. And yeah, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you gotta be self-satisfied a little bit. I mean, it takes, you can't completely hate all your work if you're going to put it out there for the public. Right. Um, you got to have a bit of confidence if you're going to be in music or even if you're in pole vaulting, if you don't know, you're going to make it, you got to try, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like on the weekend, I wasn't sure how it was going to go, but I, I told my girlfriend, I said, look, um, I'm not going to DNF and, uh, I I'd rather, I'd rather die up on those mountains than, you know, come home a failure. Right. So, yeah. And maybe that's uh, that's not just in that one area of my life. Maybe it's in a few. So, yeah, well, dude, and I, th- I'm and tying it back around, like, I mean, that's that's part of chasing your passions. You know, like one, like once you get that taste of it, 
you would sooner you'd sooner die than than do anything but that. Um, and I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, but you know, touching into something you kind of just brought up, how how much of you know you, you look through your socials and all that, and there are some incredible like landscapes that you visit and you said that you've mentioned a couple times that you're that you're quite an outdoor enthusiast we'll say how much of that um getting like just getting out of the studio for for someone who who loves composing so much and how like how much of that time out of the studio um is important for you as an artist and you as a person and what does that time out of the studio look like I would say all of the, the time is uh, important, um, which was, yeah, I, I, that's what I write about. Um, I mean, even going back to, you know, there's an EP called Charcoal Halo. So Charcoal Halo was like, my girlfriend's got these blue-gray eyes with a charcoal halo around them. And, you know, yeah. I wrote on, they're called Cypress Lake, and that's a lake that we go to. Or on Lane 8's label, I put out um, uh, a two-track EP called, that had Faya which is a lake in Algonquin. That's one of those, you know, like, yeah. you know, uh, like it's like a backcountry loop that we do. And which is awesome because if you roll your ankle or you break a bone, you're three days of hiking away from even cell reception. Right. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Things like, you know, we love doing and, and it gives you something to write about too. I think if, if I hang out just, you know, in front of the computer, my songs are going to be about hanging out in front of the computer. If you're at the club all the time, your songs are going to, you know, sound like, they're about the club which is you know awesome and it works because you, you you figure out what that is and if i'm uh you know if i'm outside a lot like looking up at the stars and you know the um and you know what the wind smells like when it's coming through that tree or what the wind smells like when it's blowing through those plants um those are the things that you want to write about and i think yeah. the more more stuff you have to uh to distill and try to find the outlet um you know musically and sometimes those outlets are going to be important because you have to process an emotion, you know, things like when I, when I, you know, some things are pretty on the nose, like that thunderstorms from the balcony. It's my old apartment in Toronto. Um, you yeah. know, unless if it was the morning, we'd have our, you know, coffees and watch the thunderstorms, just wash everybody out on the lake. Cause we just, yeah. were sitting. Um, you know, it's, it's easy. And I've got so many, records that i've never put out that are just specific geographic references right yeah um, and because what i can't think of anything else that's had such an impact on me i mean uh you know tracks like i was sort of surprised when a track like further gets like you know 10 million streams because further was for me it's about running right it's yeah. um you know it, if i'm not going to be you know um you know sponsored or going to the olympics okay, what, but running is that outlet for me. Well, there are two things you can do. You can either go faster or you can go further. I said, I'm going to go yeah. further, right? And yeah. what am I going to do uh, when everything hurts? Um, but uh, And after the, a hundred mile marathon or ultra marathon, everything hurts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it does. And, you know, um, as much as I love every day to be easy and chill, everything good I've learned about myself has been through really hard stuff, right? So- yeah, dude, that try, dude, you growth never occurs without some without stimulus, you know, whether whether you're you're working out, you know, you're not you're not going to get stronger if you're not stimulating muscle systems and you're going to come out a little bit sore from that. 
same thing can be said from an emotional set, sense or from a mental stance um, or from an artistic sense. Like rarely do we ever find growth on the other side of comfort, you know? And so being able to embrace that discomfort and remove the, like remove labels of good and bad or comfortable and uncomfortable, but embracing the, that stimulate, that stimulus as, as a necessary part of growth, I think really helps to reshape the relationship with that and embrace those uncomfortable things. And ultimately, ideally look forward to those uncomfortable things like, Oh, this is an opportunity for me to grow. I'm so excited for this. And I think that can be a, I think that can be a really beautiful thing for just the human experience. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I feel a bit guilty that, yeah, like I don't do a lot of social media and I could do a for sure a better job of, you know, the whole marketing side, but I think, man, I've written so, so much stuff. Right. Um, and they're, they're not these separate boxes of my life. I think it's all, it's, you know, it's all one person. It's all one story. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm so far fortunate that it's, um, you know, it, it's all been able to work together uh, and that, you know, I can, I can go and I can do long runs and, you know, it's, you know, one thing that was great for my girlfriend and I is, you know, when we the first, I think one of the first or second times we did camping, like winter camping, pardon me, was minus 40 and minus 40 is really, it's so minus 40 feels like it's like, you know, when you, when you're sick, you're like, Oh, it's brutal. And then when you feel healthy, it's hard to remember how bad feeling sick is. It's hard yeah. to how different minus 40 is from minus 20. Um, oh. But it's very different. Um, Yikes, I bet. <laughs> yeah. And, but it's those things. It's like, it's why, you know, why, why choose an ultra marathon? And the, but the people that, you know, you meet at the aid stations are incredible. And the people that you're running with at different chunks of time. And uh, like the first time I ran an ultra marathon, I broke my ribs um, like two weeks before. And it was such an, an awful experience. But, um, but I realized, you know, I, I deliberately chose something brutal and hard and it took me a while to figure out what I learned from it all, but I learned something. Right. And I, I tell you, those things are still a lot easier than uh, like the music industry and dealing with, yeah. uh, you know, promoters and labels and, you know, and who you gotta, who you gotta kiss to get on a Spotify playlist and all that nonsense. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. sure you and I both know there are artists that are better than, better than most people out there that have maybe like a thousand plays because they just, the game just isn't something they're participating in. Um, yeah. And there's, yeah, then there's artists like, you know, uh, you know, I'll, I'll send you some of this like Prince of Denmark stuff, right? Yeah. Prince of Denmark, digital release. Um, and, you know, basically retired a, a few years ago. And maybe if you're lucky enough to go to Bergheim once in a while, you could have, you caught him, but he, he just sort of said, you know, if, if you, and you go on, you know, Discogs, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you can go on Discogs, and if you want to get this stuff, maybe if you have like thirteen hundred euro, you can get one of his old vinyls. But that's it. Uh, and you know, some of those acts they build the lore up around them and, and all that. Yeah. But you know, there's there's not one way up the mountain, right? And I think you know when you talk about music, you know, I've, some people are uh, they're really popular on social media because their energies in social media. But maybe they or they they tour well because their their energies in their live show or they yeah. stream well. Focuses on you know the streaming thing and um and then there's people that uh they'll they'll build sound libraries and there are some who will just get their stuff synced in you know commercials or on a movie trailer and you know from the outside those are all a successful musician and yeah 
there's a lot of ways up that mountain on if if you want to be if you want to have music pay your bills how many ways are there to do it and i'm yeah. sure it'll be a brand new way to do it um in yeah. five months there's going to be another brand new way to do it you know um yeah. the only human thing is that uh one way or another uh no one wants to go without music so yeah no 100 percent. and now you know when you look back at where you started and how you've gotten to this point and everything in between, you know, what do you feel? Where do like, where, what do you feel just when you think about your relationship with music up to this point from, you know, from listening to those, listening to those old records that, well, that one uh, with your parents up in Canada all the way to this conversation now, what, you know, what do you feel when you think about your relationship with music? I, I feel like perpetually it's always been the first rung of the ladder. I mean, from learning the first chord on guitar, you think, Oh, there's so much, so much more to go. Um, and the first time you record something, you think, Oh, that kind of sucks. There's so much further to go. Um, you know, the first time, you know, a stranger messages you and says, you know, this record helped me through a hard time. I think that's amazing but there's still so much further to go. Um, yeah. I, I think there's, I, I think it's really kicked my butt in a lot of ways. Um, you realize like there's always, uh, you know, just like running there, you know, I'll, I'll never be the fastest. I'll, I'll probably never go the furthest. Um, but I'm, I'm way ahead of where I started. Yeah. Love um, that. And now, and where do you, and, you know, kind of where do you hope to go from here with music? You know, where, where do you, what do you hope that you and really, or you and music kind of blossom towards? There was a time when I thought, you know, I want to be, you know, the Canadian John Hopkins or, or the, uh, the Canadian, you know, whatever version of that or that. Um, but maybe that's, you know, tying your story to somebody else too much. Maybe it's, in, it's, you know, don't try to find the parallels. Don't try to, you know, be the next this or the next that. Be the first you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, so the Junos there in Canada, like our our version of the, uh, you know, it's our it's the top of the mountain for our, our music industry in Canada, right? Yeah. So the first nomination was incredible. Kind of, you know, it validated and, and justified what I was doing to a lot of people in my life who are very, a lot more, um, you know, business, corporate world focused, you know, especially yeah. parents. Yeah. Uh, the second nomination reminded me that, okay, it wasn't a fluke. This is something that you've, uh, you've done and keep pushing. But I, obviously there's like, you know, dream shows and you, you want to play this venue or this festival, but um, you don't want to get there by accident and you want to, you want to get there because you earned it. Um, and you want to be able to, yeah. So I, obviously, you know, I'd, I'd love to, you know, buy my girl a ring and, and afford to have a family. And, and if I'm going to do that through music, I got to work a lot harder and I've got to write a lot more stuff. Um, and I want, I want the music to be when I'm gone. Um, and if you can't have a conversation with me, how are you going to get to know me? How, how's my story going to be told? And and can it be music? And, uh, that's, um, you know, live wild and write honest. I love that. I love that. Live wild right now. Dude, that's going to be, that's going to be the opening of this, of this write-up is going to be live wild and right honest. I'm going to, that's going to be the opening remark right there. That's good. That's it. Now. So what advice might you have for, for anyone who, who wants to turn their 
passion for music into a career who wants to try and chase a career path with it or you know even what advice might you give the younger version of yourself who's just starting to see that this passion can become a career um and okay just in case it does cut out um i'm gonna grab a charger real quick um but i i don't think i would actually talk to my younger self because at this stage i'd I'd probably tell him to turn back it's been really hard um it's tough on you um i'd and for anyone that's thinking of you know going into music i'd say unless if you can see yourself being happy doing anything else do that yeah um and if you can't um or are you okay with uh, it being way harder than you think? And not not yeah. hard to think, not not hard to endure, you know, criticism and, and the rejection. Um, but it's uh, it is hard. Like you're, you, you, there's there's no real concept of mentorship as much as you like it because um, you know it's not like a hockey team where you know the veteran's going to help this player and you're going to play on the same line. You can only listen to one song at a time. If, yeah. if they do, you know, um, my song, they're not listening to somebody else's. If they listen to somebody else's, they're not listening to yours. And there's a lot of amazing music out there. Um, but it's it's unfortunately competitive for something that mm-hmm. should just be. Um, well, for me, it's about, you know, storytelling. It's emotion. It's um, it's it's journal writing. Um, it's narrative. It's cinematic. It's imagination. I mean, if I if I could write books, I'd be writing books. Um this is my version of storytelling, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, for advice, it's it's tough. I'd say, uh, yeah, it, you, you have to be okay with uh, with the hurt, um, and mm-hmm. if you're that, you're gonna you're gonna learn a lot. Um, yeah. But it's not, um, you know, worse artists are gonna leapfrog you and be rich. Better artists are gonna, you know, suffer and disappear, and you're gonna feel guilty for, um, for doing better than them because you know there's, there's amazing music that deserves a way bigger platform, and there's a lot, a lot of safe stuff that, uh, you know, that maybe, um, they should share their space with, you know, different records. But, but I'm super biased towards the stuff I like, anyways. Yeah, it's. Not- it's not a fun industry. It's not a fair industry. Um, and the rewards that y- y- you think are going to feel good um, are- aren't the ones that, that truly mean something, you know, it's, you'll, you'll yeah. get a message that was on, you know, on the edge of a really bad decision and, uh, and reached out to you or connected with something you wrote that maybe you wrote when you were on the edge of a really bad decision. And yeah. that feels then, you know, people chanting one more song at the end of a set. As good as that feels, yeah. uh, it's the human stuff that um, is the hardest, and it's the human stuff that's the best. So we got one more thing for you. All right, this is going to be a speed round, okay? So we're just sure. going to kind of – it's going to be a bunch of this or that questions. Cool. Um, and there will there might and there'll be a couple in there that will make you think just a little bit, but for the most part, it's just going to be a pretty rapid-fire thing, okay? Right on, dude. All right, cool. So first one. Um, House or techno? Techno. Techno, all right. Club or warehouse? Club. All right. Rave or festival? Oh, rave. All right. Digital or analog? Uh, Analog. Analog, all right. Dream performance spot? The Allen Gardens in Toronto. (laughs) All right, cool. Um, Dream collaboration? 
Ooh, I would. That's. T- I wouldn't want to succumb to any of my dream artists to to me. So let's go. Uh, dream collaboration. I don't. I don't always love collabs because I think you know. Dream collaboration. Let's go Bjork. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um. Best concert that you ever attended as a fan. Uh, John Hopkins and Clark. Yeah. Nice. All right. The last concert that you attended, uh, you attended as a fan. <laughs> John mm-hmm. Hopkins and Flume. Nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, what's your drink of choice? Uh, oh, whiskey. Yeah. Whiskey. All right. Neat or on the rocks? Yeah. Whiskey neat. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, you walk into a house party. All right. And someone hands you the ox. What song are you playing to get the party going? Oh man, what kind of party is it? <laughs> we're, we're just talking. Just a, we're just talking a house party, okay. you know. Just a yeah, Fort- just a great a great a rager. Yeah, Fortet, only human. Nice, dude. Oh, gotta love some Fortet. All right, so now it's the end of the night, and the house party's winding down, and you're closing out the night with the track as you're walking out the door. What song are you putting as you're walking out the door? I'm walking out the door track, eh? And it, it, we're, yeah. we're sort of, I started with Fortet. How, how's it ending? Yeah. Okay, one second here. Oh, geez, there's so much cool stuff. I'd go, um, uh, I'd go a Prince of Denmark record, yeah. It's, it's a perfect, nice. like, dub techno. It's like an 11-minute, basically an 11-minute kick loop, but it's a great way to find a denouement to an evening, you know? Love that, love that. Okay, um, Secret Talent? Secret talent. Um, <laughs> chess. Let's go chess. Yeah. Nice. All right. Cool. That's a good one. All right. Um, if you could have dinner with three people, dead, alive, past, present, who would it be? Uh, okay. That's awesome. Um, I'd go my grandpa, uh, Bill Watterson. He writes those Calvin Hobbes comics. Yeah. And um, for my grandpa, Bill Watterson. I want to think who my grandpa would want to sit with. Um, let's go Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. Nice. Dude, I love that you said Bill Watterson. That's a name I hadn't heard in a hot minute. And I lived on Calvin and Hobbes from like seven to like 12. I couldn't get enough of it. Me Nonstop too. Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. Um, okay. Guilty pleasure food. Guilty pleasure food. Uh, oh, gee, these days, a lot of it's guilty. Um, French toast. Okay, French toast. Nice. All right. Would you rather face off against one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? What do you mean face off? Like in a game or? Um, we're gonna say a, a battle for survival here. Like that. Like those things are coming after you. What are um, you gonna have the best chance of surviving against? Probably the small stuff because I figure they can't get to my eyes, right? Because a horse can't climb a leg. So I'm just thinking. True. Like a, like a giant duck, man, that could like peck me, right? True. And I imagine like the smaller ones, you know, you have the endurance for from your ultra marathons that you could have, you could probably uh, through power of attrition outrun them. Oh yeah. Or, you know, I, I feel, to be honest, I feel super bad, like beating up an animal, but. I, oh, true. Yeah. But very much. But the, I totally get that. You know, we, we do not condone animal cruelty here at gray area. Need to make that oh. clear. <laughs> So I'll go like uh, a bunch of small animals versus one massive animal. Let's do that. Okay, cool. All right. What is an area in which you hope to grow? Uh, 
Uh, self-acceptance. Self-acceptance. That's a really solid one. I love that. Yeah. I think that's something that that's just a, a life journey. I think that's a nonstop, a nonstop thing that everyone works on all the time. Yeah. Um, what is something that you're proud of yourself for? I guess like the ultras. Yeah. Heck yeah. All right. Okay. Last one before I, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, just because there's no help in the music industry. I always wonder, Oh, I did like a manager go to bat for you. You know, where you're just lucky that, you know, that track hit at that time or, you know, even with like, you know, there's every area else in my life. I wonder, you know, um, and not even wonder, but I'm sure I had help, but I was the only person putting my foot in front of my other foot on those races. eh? so. Yeah. Cool. Love that. Yeah. There's a, there's something, it's very, there's something very raw and very unfiltered and like, there's nothing to hide behind out there. You know, just like you said, it's, it is you putting one foot in front of the other, uh, regardless of the conditions and certainly the backcountry does not care who you are or what you've done or what you ate that morning or what you're doing afterwards, but it's, it's going to give you everything it's got as long as you give it everything it's got. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And last one, before I die, I want to blank. Before I die, I want to be ready for it. Heck yeah. All right, dude. I love that. All right. Well, Jeff, dude, that's all we got for you, my friend. Dude, this has been an absolutely incredible conversation. Your your music has this very rare ability to convey this sense of familiarity with an artist. Like, like I think the fact that you pour so much of yourself into your music coupled with the fact that you have this incredible technical and composition, compositional ability gives you this freedom to explore and clearly express those like unspoken sensations <clears throat> and feelings that are like the deep pockets of the human condition, like through music. And so, and I think it's really special. And I think being able to do that is really special. I think a lot of people, you know, really connect with it, man. And so to actually get to have the conversation with the person behind that, has really been a blessing. So I really appreciate you cutting out some time for us today, man. Oh, I've, I've had just a blast having a conversation and um, yeah, thanks for, you know, taking your time as well. And the thoughtful uh, questions that led to really great conversation, you know, and um, if you have my email, email me, I'll, I'll send you a bunch of those records of mine that, you know, might not be release appropriate, but feel a little more compositionally honest or something. For sure. Well, dude, like we'll uh, we'll exchange info when, once we hop off the recording. Sound good? Perfect. Yeah. Love that. All right. Well, Gray Area family, that's it for this episode of our Artist Spotlight series. This has been Jeff Hart for the one and only Atlas. We'll catch you next time, everybody. And remember, peace, love, and dance.